Hello everyone, my name is Nick Piet, Chief Evangelist here at Talent. I'm Mark Balkanetti, Director of Technical Product Marketing at Talent. And with us we have Eric Matalski, Taproot Manager at Epic Brewery. Thanks for joining us, Eric. Thanks for coming in. So tell us a little bit about this brewery. I, I mean, it's up in the River North area. I live real close. I've been here more times than I like to uh, <laughs> admit on camera. Um, but tell, like, give us the story, the background. Like, how did Epic Brewery come about? So, um, I'll start with how I started with Epic. Yeah. So I started with Epic uh, almost four years ago, and at that time we are still building out this location. This is an older building, so it does have a little bit of that Rhino warehouse charm to it. Yes, it does. Um, so at that time we were still kind of figuring out the tap room and everything. Um, we were making, we started in Salt Lake City about three years prior to that. Right, which is like, what, 2008-ish? Yeah, so the, the brewery itself is just about seven years old. So actually, we're closer to 2010. Yeah, okay. Um, so the owners of the company, uh, Dave and Peter, yep. uh, both had an existing business, but they've always had a passion for beer. Yeah. And when they were able to sell that business, they were able to start their dream. So when they started, they were already, their existing business was in Salt Lake City, so they yeah. were in Utah, so most people Salt Lake City as the place to start a brewery. Not a good idea. Yeah. No considering the drinking. Uh, I like there. to say what what happens when you tell people you can't do something. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So, it's a so uh, Epic had a strong focus on two things: variety and and kind of going against the mold of what was available there and uh, and showing what they could do with a, some higher ABVs that actually taste smooth. And approachable instead of having like a real hot kind of right. Yeah, yeah. I was reading through this, you know, researching here. You mentioned strong beers. And you kind of see we got a we've got the gauntlet here that we'll be going through today. It's literally called the gauntlet, right? <laughs> um, so, yeah. About like what, why certain things like IPAs are stronger beers? Is that like that's what the fibers like? Or what was the? Um, it's it's not just being a, a stronger beer, but making some challenging beers. So taking a, a typical beer and, and seeing how they can make it a little bit more unique. So one, when, when you do have a stronger beer like that, how do you still make it approachable and right. it's smooth tasting? Um, two, how do you work with certain things like our, our Tart Juicy, for example, is a sour IPA, it's a kettle sour IPA. It's a very difficult beer to make because you actually have to start one batch as kind of an inoculant and then, and then go from there. So it's, it is a lightly sour beer, but it's more uh, of a cool way of souring, technically souring the grain oh. to, to create that lactose. Interesting. Yeah, so there's some, some really unique ways of how you guys grow the beer. Right? Yeah. So I'm sure that took a lot of trial and error and things like that, which I have example the majority of it before. It's a fantastic offering. Um, so if you had to pick, what is your favorite? I don't play favorites as much as I say. <laughs> there's, there's a beer for every mood. Right. right? You know, I, I know from every brewery, even outside of Epic, that I enjoy visiting. Um, I'm always interested in what's new. And when, when I started here, we were currently, we had about 40 beers in our portfolio. Yeah. And then we decided, well, some of them aren't doing as well in the market, so we're going to cut some away. And now we're at 60. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so the variety is really the passion, and I think that's what drove me towards 
wanting to work for an epic. So I, I really think that there is something for every mood. And sometimes choosing that beer is the hardest choice for me. So things like the gum that I drink. So what's your favorite time. beer at 10 o'clock in the morning? The gum that we're recording it's at 10 o'clock. Or, or rather, yeah, so it, it is 12 o'clock somewhere, right? Right, yeah, yeah exactly. So to our, our UK friend. followers. Or our friends this is friends. for you. Yeah. This is perfect timing. Um, <laughs> my, my new personal favorite is something that I'd be sipping on. I would probably be torn between two right now. Uh, one, the Son of a Baptist, oh, which okay. is... Uh, as it's listed on the menu, it's pretty much like an iced coffee, almost like an iced mocha. Ooh, There's enough that? coffee and chocolate in it to, yeah. to really kind of drive that one All right. uh, forward. Plus with that one, we, we worked with different coffee roasters around the nation, so oh, cool. the, the variety of coffee is always going to be different. So every region has a different coffee. So Novo Coffee is just directly a block away from us. So I smell Novo as I'm coming in, so that's probably my first Right, yeah. Go-to kind I of beer, so I was going to have it. That should be that Follow the gun. Correct. But the other one that I would lean on, a uh, new personal favorite, is a beer that we made for Falling Rock Tap House. It's Ooh. called Falling Monk. So this celebrates their 20th anniversary here in Denver. So they opened up uh, shortly after Force Field opened up um, a few years after. And um, we were, it was one of our first places to get beer into. So the first beer that was uh, produced out of this facility and released to the public was the Escape to Colorado. Ooh. That was a kind of fitting mood as we yeah. expanded from right. Utah to here. Um, Which is this one. And Falling Rock was the first place to serve that. So we're nice. We're happy to celebrate the 20th anniversary with a quad that comes in around 11%. Nice. It's barrel aged and bourbon barrels with two different types of cherries and almonds. They are fresh almonds, so if there's any nut allergies, we Nope, not here. Vegetables. But it's, it's a lot smoother than you typically think of as a pond. So, so my morning coffee. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> oh, perfect. Well, hey, awesome. thank you so much for your time. Yeah. Really awesome. Um, looking forward to finishing these. And uh, I'm timing. <laughs> I think we should just keep track of how many empty glasses we have next well, I guess the camera side. does the timing. Yeah, exactly. All right. Last so, time it was photo finish that I won. <laughs> True, photo finish. But... If we have any marketing budget still left after the end of this, keep track, one to one. But hey, thank you so much for your Perfect. time. Thanks thank for you. taking the time out. Thanks for yeah. having us. And too. for all of you that are watching, come down to Epic Breweries, the River North District. Great place to get a drink. We'll start off with some of the technology in a minute. Thank you. Hello, everyone. Coming back again. My name is Nick Piet, Chief Evangelist here at Talent. I'm Mark Balkney, Director of Technical Product Marketing here at Talent. So we just finished off our interview with Eric Matalski, Taproom Manager here at Epic Brewery. So now we'll get into the meat of the subject, right? data. So I was talking with Mark. I spent last week talking to a number of students at a, a couple of universities here in the area, and really kind of realized that, like, yes, everyone understands that big data is a technology that can be used, right? That there's new frameworks for processing this data, but what is the value, what is the benefit to a particular industry? So I was talking about, we were talking, and I'm like, hey, why don't we take a section of our, our video series and really focus in on how data transitions, digitizes, you know, improves certain industries. So today we'll be talking about agriculture. But before we do that. Yes, Nick, I think we have a very important business to take care of. We, we do. do All right. I need to select a different one. This is called the Gauntlet right, from Epic Brewing. We're here at, at the uh, beautiful Epic Brewing uh, Company in downtown Denver, and I'm just going to pick any one, unfortunately. All right. 
Cheers. So, hold on, before we start, again, as we started with our last video, the big dated show. Yes. Now, last time we talked about Clara Altis, this week we'd like to talk about Snowflake, a great partner of ours. Um, going through their city cloud, uh, cloud analytics tour throughout their city, we're very happy to be a part of it. Really looking forward to bringing them onto the series, hopefully yes. in a later episode. Um, Amazing platform, though. If, if, you, if you get a chance to even just get a demo from the guys, try it out. Right. Just amazing uh, oh. database platform in the cloud. It's awesome. Right. So, as so this like, down up, I think we should come up with some official rules. Now, oh my God. we're going to take a moment. This is because I beat him last time. Right. So, take a moment. If there's any marketing budget left after this, and we can put some graphics on, we'll pause for a moment to put the score on the board. It should be right around here. Right now, it's one to zero. Mark's ahead. All right. So, this down up. Ready? Yes. All right. Ready? Cheers. Cheers. You can give me a photo finish of that one. No. Um, all right. So back to the challenge of right? In, in agriculture, and how how is really this digital transformation affecting that industry? Well, some interesting challenges are coming our way within the next fifty years, right? So by twenty fifty, they're estimating that the population going to grow to about 9 billion people, which is crazy. Now, what that means, though, is that we need to find ways of producing, distributing, and consuming food at double the rate that we're doing today, which is a challenge when you think about the fact that like 40% of the surface is, is used for agriculture. It is a challenge, but I also recently read a report from uh, McKenzie and Company where over a third of all food produced is either lost or wasted uh, through the entire production process. And globally, you know, it, if you're not worried about people going hungry, but you're worried about the money aspect of it, globally they estimated about $940 billion impact on the economy from that much of lost food. So there's clearly a, def uh, a definite need for more use of the data in agriculture and the food industry overall. So, so I think you know today we really want to focus in and talk about how, how are companies using data or even collecting data, right, yeah. from the ag business or agriculture. Uh, you know, I grew up in Iowa. I'm an Iowa Midwest boy. You can tell by the way he drinks. Yes, and uh, you know we call it ag. You know, we, I, I went to a school where there's ag management. It was a, a major. <laughs> And, and over half the students went to that <laughs> major. So definitely a, you know, a very important topic, you know, depending on you know, the area you live in and the, the industries that you're in. So there's, there's definitely some good points about how agricultural business is, is starting to use data more and more all the time within the farming communities and in production and everything else. Yes, fundamentally, just like every industry that we're dealing with these days, any of our customers, everyone has to do more with us. There's no question that data analytics is going to help solve some of these problems. So let's let's talk about it. You mentioned, I mean, when we look at the big fees of, of big data, right? So certainly, even in agriculture, you have a volume, a variety concern. Absolutely. You have, um, thinking of the third velocity. 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 Well, there's certainly velocity, but then um, the half life of this data, right? I mean, all the times we're looking at it. So, I mean, if we take a step, we'll, we'll, don't get me wrong, there's tons of different types of use cases within this, and we'll focus in on a couple of ones, but if we look at just the production, right, of this type of information, right? Like, production of the data? No, production of crops, <laughs> but yeah, yes, data, like what, what data 
is flowing because of that. I mean, you have all these sensors, you right. see all these commercials about smart farming. So yeah, so I mean, uh, even like I said, I grew up in Iowa. And, you know, John Deere is, is is actually you know in Iowa, produced in Iowa. The colleges I went to, they, they you know, John Deere is a big you know big recruiter there. And for years, you know, from from what I can remember in school, they've had you know even you know 10, 15 years ago, they had sensors on their farm equipment. You know, to capture the information. They've been using satellite um, imagery to help farmers understand where they need to spray certain pesticides and where they don't need to. You know, so there's you know there's the combination of the actual tractors and the farm equipment that's collecting data. There's you know, satellite imagery that, that these companies like John Deere and seed companies and pesticide companies are using. Uh, so the data is you, know, you talk about velocity and variety, it's coming from everywhere. You know, John Deere is only one of the major you know farm implement track you know companies out there. There's there's several other major ones that are doing exactly the same thing, and their data looks different. Uh, so you know, there's a there's a huge discussion in the you know agricultural science about how do you collect this data, where do you store the data. The cloud has been huge about how to store the data in you know in certain areas. So definitely a, a huge topic, and, and it's coming from everywhere, from every angle. Uh, the, Data machine learning is huge in, in this area to, to help predict when do you want to use certain pesticides. You know, the U.S. has regulations around you can't use nitro 24 hours before a predicted rainstorm of more than an inch of rain. So, and how do you get that out to the farmers who are about to spray nitro on their fields? Right. So there's there's the, the getting the data, knowing the data, and acting on the data. So a lot of stuff to talk about in this field. It's very interesting. So. Yeah, and well, I need to focus a couple things that you mentioned, uh, which is really good. Um, a couple pieces that I just doing some of the research shows we do that we normally do for these shows. We don't just randomly show up and drink. Well, I do, right, most of the time. But if you think about just the edge, you kind of mentioned the, the different types of data that's bringing in. Well, one article that I guess I normally like to present about you know how IoT can feed the world. One of the significant challenges that comes in. I think food feeds the world. Well, anyway, it's true. We're not eating data just yet. The IoT's not feeding. I know I processed data last time, this time. But, no, uh, the idea that, look, there's a lot of these different data sources. And so one of the things that's come up that we should talk about is really this transition. So you, you mentioned the cloud, but then uh, at the same time, a lot of these farming communities live in rural areas. They don't necessarily have the internet bandwidth required to have a constant connection. And so this is a great area that really kind of falls into more of fog computing than more cloud computing, where essentially bringing some of that logic in place and having it closer to the, the fields is actually beneficial. And we've worked with customers, and I know a number of customers have worked with in the past, that, that do that type of thing. So it, it's interesting because you mentioned pesticides, water, and soil, and types of things like that. And one of the things that I really found interesting as I was doing the research for this is, is what one of our customers is doing around trying to help farmers better understand their soil, right? And so the idea is, is that, you know, you kind of mentioned some of the nitros, fertilizers, things like that, and pesticides to be able to help better equip the crops to create a better yield. And so one of our customers has found this really interesting way of essentially twofold. One, either actually providing a mobile lab that these farms can use because it's very expensive to try to get a soil analysis. Definitely. Or two, they built this handheld x-ray machine, 
which is able to take a soil analysis and figure out your nitrogen levels, your potassium, the yeah. uh, metal, and, and then provide ways of better understanding what type of fertilizer to use for that, right? And which crops could be used for that. So it's very interesting just how much machine learning, as you mentioned, is playing into this because we're getting to this point because we haven't necessarily taken the best care with the soil that we have, we have to find innovative ways to really get the maximum yield. Right? Definitely. So, hey, Nick, do you like IPAs, by the way? I do, why? Great. Yeah. All right. Thank you. <laughs> so now our viewers know I don't like IPAs. I like anything that's colored that's beer. roughly this color, yeah. <laughs> okay, so, having talked about soil, I mean, you've seen you know, water, soil, now, a very interesting point you mentioned, right, with 30% with of roughly the food that goes from farm to table being thrown out, it reminds me of a, a, a story I heard at Google Next, which was roughly around how you could use machine learning and vision to better identify crops. So the story was essentially a, a, a coder in Japan was working with his family who owned a cucumber farm, and they were using it as a way to try to identify the types of cucumbers that had different sale points, right? And, and a lot of this was a, a manual job, and it took a long time. And as, as the story goes on, essentially he builds this process using Google Vision to better understand what the cucumbers look like and categorize them. But, you know, it, it's very interesting that a lot of that food waste comes from just, is this, it, it, is it spoil? Is it just not appealing? And it'd be really interesting, because it's the free idea of the day. Um, free idea of the day. Free like idea that. of the day. That, that's a new concept. Too. A new, yeah, we'll add that. If, if, if we can get that through this, where a, an intelligible idea actually comes out of it. <laughs> um, but the idea that you know, essentially machine learning and vision would be a, a tool to help us better understand what type of food is potentially, like just from the physical characteristics, is this going to spoil by the time it reaches the facility? If it is, maybe I need to route it as part of that distribution conversation we're having. Could we route it to a store that's more close by? Definitely, because a lot of that lock loss of food will come in the stores where it gets there and it's already rotten. Um, you know, I did work in a grocery store too for a long time, and, and we, there's a lot of produce thrown away because it's, you know, before it even hits the shelf because it's, it's not good. So, so yeah, that's I mean that's a lot of waste in, in you know just in the end game. But there's so much data that can be used up front in, in, this, in this space and. Today, there's so many concerns. You know, you think about uh, you were talking about the rural farmers. And, you know, they're out in this rural area. Yeah, and, and it's funny because one of the articles I was reading about is it's called uh, data farming, uh, which is funny to me because there's a, a very concept around data mining. This is data farming, right? <laughs> so, so that was kind of funny to me. But you know, they have a lot of concerns about who owns the data and you know how is the data going to be used. Uh, it could actually be used against the farmers because. Uh, you could predict crop productions and make costs go down, you know, the price of, of um, what their yields are. So there's a lot of a lot of things to talk about, uh, and the, again, the challenges around where all the data is coming from, from the sensors, from, you know, from different farm equipment, from the actual production to the delivery to the to the end product that's going to stores. So there's a lot of challenge with the data, you know that machine learning, big data, cloud technologies, all can really help this industry and help them understand how they can solve these problems today. Yeah, well, and, and you kind of mentioned that it comes into one of the other stories that we have just with our customers, which is the ability just to collect that information, better help the point of sale aspect 
of this of crops. So tons of opportunity within this space. Hopefully talk to you about a couple opportunities of where data really can help transform the agriculture industry. It's already happening with smart farming. Smart farming. Smart farming. Tell my beers. Uh, and which brings me to the point, I just want to point out that uh, if you count the glasses on You're up by each one. side. You're up by one. Right. Now two. But yeah, hey. Um, so again, I think I outdrank Nick. But I want to say thanks to Epic Brewing again for having us hosting us here today and yep. uh, for our third uh, series video and yeah. vlog. And for you guys for watching and, and listening and hopefully it was educational and helped you guys today. Yeah, now if there's any subject you'd like to have us talk about or worry that or really anywhere you'd like us to go, put it in the comment section. We're looking forward to our next video that will come out rather soon. Thank you again for taking the time to watch us. I'm Nick Piet. I'm Mark Balkanetti. Have a good one.